You guys remember a college, you remember a philosophy class? You guys like philosophy class? I, I actually liked philosophy class. I, I love philosophy class. I remember every day, you know, the teacher would sit down on his stool because that made him seem smarter. And, uh, you know, and he would just talk about life and he would ask us these questions. And I loved that class because you were allowed to debate. And I, and I loved to just argue. And, uh, you know, and then you were supposed to and you were supposed to question things and, 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 and think deeply. And, and I think sometimes as Christians, sometimes we think too deeply about stuff. When the Bible's pretty simple, it's like, you know, I just go serve someone and give someone something. You know, I, you know it's, just, it's just sometimes we think too deeply and get so analytical that we never do anything. But other times I think that we as Christians, we, we don't think deeply enough. And uh, we take a lot of things for granted. We, don't, uh, we do things because of tradition or because we're just told to do that. And we never really think through the issues. And, and you know, we're in the series talking about, you know, what, what's the meaning of life? Sounds like something you would hear in a philosophy class, right? What is the meaning of life? But let me ask you a question. And I want you to think deeply about this. Don't just, don't just give a quick answer. You know, really think about this, because maybe you've never thought this through. Okay, God is... How long has God been around? Long time, right? Okay. And uh, so before he created the world, how long was he in existence for? Forever. We'd say eternal, millions, millions, billions, trillions. You know, he just always was there. Well, then a few thousand years ago, he decides to make a world, an earth. Right? Why? Okay, just think this through, okay? I mean, he was, he was God before he made the world, he was self sufficient. He's perfect. He had no need of anything. Why then did he make the earth? Yeah. Because he wanted relationships. Good. He wanted life. Okay. Yeah. He wanted us to follow him. Okay. Yeah. Didn't want to be alone. If God had perfect love, he wanted to share his love with others. Ah, UCLA, go Bruins. Okay. Any answers from USC alumni, huh? <laughs> Didn't think so. Okay. <laughs> That's good, you know, but, but, but you know, have you ever really thought that through? Why, why did he make the world? Was he bored? Just want to do something? Why would he make the world? Yeah. That's good. To bring glory to himself. He wanted to bring glory to himself. You know, the Bible says that the, the earth is filled with his glory. Everything that he makes, is, it just makes him even, you know, appear more greater. Uh, you, you know, you, you look uh, more great. Um, I catch myself. I just don't always say it. Um, but but do, do you ever stop and think about that? Why he made the world the way he did? Every sunset, every thunderstorm brings him glory, doesn't it? You look at the sun setting, you just go, wow, he's amazing. It, you know, when you, when you experience just an awesome thunderstorm, you just go, wow, 
that God up there that made that and the way he made that system work, it's amazing. Every, every ocean, when you, you, know, you go out to the beach and you just look out, you just go, wow, look at the way those waves, just the way everything works. Every lake, every mountain, it all just displays his glory. It was made for his glory. Isaiah 6.3, remember, we, we talk about that story of Isaiah when he comes before the throne and those angels are screaming out. But what do they say? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Then what? The whole earth is full of his glory. This whole earth that he made just displays his glory. You know, and, and we talked about how in Psalm uh, 19 it says, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. They, they scream out his glory. Everything that he made screams out his glory. So, uh, you know, the question is, is, is why, why do you exist? Why did God make you? Same answer, right? Okay, so the only reason why you exist, what you were made for, is not just so that you could enjoy life and do your own thing here on the earth, but there's a purpose for your creation, and it's for his glory. Now, the thing I want you to think through is this, is do you realize that every created being, every person, every human being will bring God glory? See, a lot of times we don't think this through, but everyone's going to bring God glory. Even the most evil people on earth bring God glory. You know the story of the Exodus and Moses? Moses brought God glory, right? Did Pharaoh bring God glory? He was so wicked, though. He was so evil. He was keeping the Israelites from going. But, but what Scripture says in, in Exodus uh, 14, verse 18, it says, uh, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God says, I'm going to get glory through Pharaoh and those chariots and those horsemen that are pursuing my people, and even though they're doing the wrong thing, when that sea sweeps them over and I bury them in the Red Sea, who's going to get the glory? I am. And so I need, the, those people are going to bring me glory. King Nebuchadnezzar, remember the story of King Nebuchadnezzar? He was so arrogant. Here's, here's one of the most arrogant people on the earth, you know, when, when the, the Babylonian Empire is, you know, at, at this height, and he's so proud of it all, and he says, look what I've done for myself. And what does God do? God, uh, it's that kind of strange story where, uh, where God uh, curses him and, and has him turn into like this subhuman creature where he's suddenly eating the grass of the field and, and, and his nails start turning into claws and he, you know, his hair starts looking like feathers and he just you know, becomes like this beast in the field. And then when God uh, you know, takes the you know, whatever you want to call it, the, the curse off of him. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this to say in uh, Daniel 4, verse 37. He goes, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he's able to humble. You know, he realized, man, I, he can humble anyone. He humbled me. I, you know, I was as proud as they could get, and he humbled me. So who got the glory in that through this arrogant man? God. You see, at the end, even the people who deny God, curse God, all the way up to their death, 
they're going to bring God glory because what's going to happen in the end is God's going to pour his wrath out upon them and everyone's going to look and go, whoa, you don't want to cross him. Who gets the glory? God. Through everyone. Everyone's going to bring glory. Liars, those of you in this room that are total hypocrites right now, God's going to use you to bring him glory in the end. You know, you, you know the story of, uh, you know, we see in the New Testament, like Ananias and Sapphira. You know, that was the, the couple that was in the church, you know, and they even did some good deed in selling a piece of land. But when they were confronted and asked, hey, did you give us all the money? First, Ananias says, yeah, I gave you everything. And he drops dead. Then they ask his wife, hey, did you give everything? She says, yeah, we gave everything. Boom, she's dead. She dies. They carry him out. And it says, great fear seized everyone who heard. Who did they fear? God. And God used those hypocrites to bring himself glory. That's what he does. And, and in the end, you know, it, it says in, uh, in Galatians 6, 7, a, a, a verse that a lot of us are familiar with, he goes, don't be fooled. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. He says, don't, don't be fooled. You, you, it's not like you're going to lie and get away with certain things. Whatever you, you sow, you're going to reap. You're going to reap. You know, you, you can't think, you see, you can't think that, oh, no, there's a couple of lies that I told and I'm actually getting away with them and I'm glad, you know, and I'll deal with it at the end, you know. You know, it's, it's never to your benefit to lie. It's never for, to your benefit to sin and God's going to prove that at the end and we're all going to be in awe as 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says when he exposes everything that's been hidden in darkness. And he exposes the motives of men's hearts. See, in the end, the liars are going to bring glory to God because we're all going to look at, look at them and go, oh, God knew every detail of their lives. He knew every, every lie that I ever told, every sin I ever committed. I didn't get away with anything. And all the glory is going to go to him because he's going to see it all. And it's going to be revealed. And he's going to use the liars to show that, you know what? It wasn't worth it, was it? And we'll be awe over his knowledge. We'll be in awe over his uh, justice. So the evil people will bring glory to God. The hypocrites will bring glory to God. And then the true believers, the servants of God, are going to bring glory to God. You know, like I was talking about last week, Dr. Barlow, you know, who passed away, you know, who was a missionary in Africa from his 30s all the way into his 90s, you know, for 60 years, you know, caring for those people. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it says that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. And um, a lot of times we don't think about it. We don't think about our eternal rewards because sometimes, and I've heard this before, people just go, you know what, I'll just be happy to get in. You know, I don't think about rewards. And sometimes when we, we read scripture, you know, we hear about, oh, you'll receive a crown. We go... I don't really like crowns. I mean, who's into crowns? You know, and so we'll read and go, oh, I don't even like hats. You know, I don't, I, I don't, I mean, what, what am I going to do with a crown? And so you're just like, ah, you know, I just want to get there. You know, I'm not thinking about this reward, but you got to understand at the end, we're going to be in awe over the rewards. Again, we're going to be in awe of God going, man, I should have served him more. Look, look what I could have gotten. Look. Why? Because it gives glory to him. We're going to be blown away realizing, wow, he really is a God worth serving. We're going to be in awe over the rewards. You see, in the end, God is going to be glorified through you. 
Okay, you can't ruin his plan. He created you to bring glory to himself, and you will bring glory to him. The, the question is how? Because people will be in awe of either how he punishes you, exposes you, or rewards you. We'll all be in awe of this God and give glory to him for however he treats you. It says, uh, you know, in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible there, in Revelation 15, verse 4, you know, when all the end things are starting to take place, you know, there, this Revelation 15, 4 says, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So at the end of everything, you know, the question is, okay, who's not going to fear him now? Okay, who, who, who's not going to give him glory now? Because now it says his righteous acts are revealed. His righteous, his, his doing, we're going to see as being right. See, a lot of people on the earth right now say, you know what, the God of the Bible is wrong on this, 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 this. I don't agree with this, this, you know, but at the end, when he, you know, sits in judgment over everything, people are going to go, okay, he was right, I was wrong. Who's not going to fear him in the end? Who's not going to give him glory? But Revelation 15, 4 says, because his righteous acts have been revealed. So, so God's plan isn't going to fail. You are going to bring glory to him. That's what he created you for. It's just that we want to be the people who consciously bring him glory, right? We want to actually go, okay, I, I want to bring him glory, thinking about bringing him glory. I don't want to be one of these objects of destruction that he talks about in, in Romans 9 that bring him glory. I want to be one that serves him with my life. Basically, I want to give God his glory so that he doesn't just take it anyways. Um, this passage we're going to look at today, it's a, it's a story that, that most of us are familiar with. We, we probably even heard about it when we were kids. Um, it's, a, it's a guy who consciously brings glory to God. Um, simple story, you know, again, you know, when we come to these stories, I don't want to, you know, tear them apart and analyze them to death because uh, that's not the point of it. It's just a simple thing that happened. Um, a guy who made history, a guy named Zacchaeus. There's even a song about Zacchaeus. You guys know the song about Zacchaeus? You guys know the song about Zacchaeus? No? Can you throw that up there? There's a song about Zacchaeus. How, how do you guys not know the song about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You guys want to sing it, huh? All right. <laughs> Let's sing it together. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your All right. Now you feel better? Okay. There you go. That's a terrible song. It's just... But at least he's got a song. How many songs are there about you? Um... But he makes history. Why? Because he's a guy that, that did something. And when we want to read about that, that story here, he brought glory to God. In, uh, in Luke 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Okay, so the story's about this, this little guy named Zacchaeus. Uh, and Zacchaeus, it's a Hebrew name, and, and it says that he was a, a chief tax collector, a chief tax collector. Now, I've talked about this before, where the tax collectors, remember, they're, they're under the Roman Empire, uh, the, the Jews are, and, uh, and so what the Roman Empire would do is they would let the Jews kind of carry on to, um, business and, and uh, you know, be successful, and then they would tax them so they could take their money, you know, and use it for the Roman government. That's how they grew their empire. Now, so the tax collectors were scorned. They were hated by the people. What Zacchaeus was, was he was the chief tax collector. So when the, the, the tax collectors would go and get the money from the Jews, you know, to give to the government, they would give it all to Zacchaeus first, and Zacchaeus would, in turn, pass it on to the, the Roman Empire. So, so you know, the, the people of that day just hated the tax collectors because they were crooked, uh, they were wicked, they would, uh, they would take more than, than what was uh, expected, and you really couldn't do a whole lot about it. You know, they were, they were the law. And so they would take more than, than what was due the government, and, and the government really taxed them in a pretty crazy way. And so the chief tax collector, he's the one that's kind of the boss of all of it. And so they had, uh, you know, they particularly despised um, the chief tax collector. And, uh, and, and it says right there that he's wealthy. Well, how do you get wealthy? Off of everyone else's money. And, uh, and so here's this wealthy little guy who was crooked, you know, and, and he was short and he, he wanted to... Um, you know, every time I read this passage, ever since I was young, I would always picture Danny DeVito. <laughs> I mean, doesn't that just seem like, you know, little crooked tax collector guy, you know, and ah, I'm going to climb up the tree. You know, anyways, uh, I, I don't know. It's just always in my head every time I read the passage and I can't get past it. But uh, so, uh, so he goes on ahead. Okay, he wants to just see, you know, you just picture him jumping, you know, trying to see what's going on. And, uh, you know, all the crowds, he can't see. Because remember what we talked about last week, how... Uh, Jesus was creating this following, and there was this stir. Everyone's talking about these stories, these healings. Then he heals the blind man, and, you know, and he's headed down to Jerusalem, and then you know, later he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And it's all in preparation for that triumphal entry. And so, so you know, everyone's hyping up this Jesus, and now he's coming by in all these crowds, and Zacchaeus really wants to see what is this guy all about. And so he goes running ahead, and he climbs up into this tree. And, uh, and it's interesting because... It's his curiosity that eventually saves him. You ever stop and think about that? He just really wanted to know, who is this Jesus? And uh, in the story, you see him coming to believe and follow this Jesus. But he just runs up this tree because he's just got to know. And uh, as, I, as I thought about that, you know, the reason why some of you in this room um, are here is, is, is out of curiosity. You know, you, you, you don't, it, just like Zacchaeus, you don't know exactly who this Jesus is. You're just, you're curious though. You know, you, you hear about your friends, your neighbors, people you work with, and, and they've been coming here, and so you just go, you know what, I'm going to check this place out. 
What is this all about? Why in the world would thousands of my friends come into this place and start singing these songs about Jesus, hearing these, these words out of this book and you know, start following it and living it and, and giving of their lives, their time, their resources? You're just curious. It's like, what's it all about? And you look around, you go, well, they look kind of normal. You know, they, they seem like normal people. And yet they're the people I, I, you know, I live with, the people I hang with. What is this? And, uh, and, and it is strange. Uh, it's, it's probably strange to you to, you know, hearing us sing a song about Zacchaeus or whatever. You know, you just, some of us have been in church for a while. We forget how strange it is for a person to walk in and, and see people singing, lifting their hands up, you know, devoting so much of their lives to God, passing a plate and people throwing money into it. It's, it is strange. Why do we do it? Um, you guys, you know, and just real quickly, for those who are visiting, man, we're just, we're thankful you're here. We're thankful you're curious. And we're here to answer any questions you have. I mean, feel free to question, ask anything. Um, but, but the reason why we're here is, is not because we think we're better than you, um, but it's, it's, frankly, it's the opposite. You know, we, we realize that, man, we look at our lives and we understand that we haven't lived good lives especially the more we read the Bible and we understand God's standard, we realize, wow, we've really fallen short of that. The one thing we all have in common in this room, whether you believe in God or not, is that we've all broken God's commands. Um, that's one thing we know of. And, and because we're human beings, we have a sense of justice. And we understand the principle of justice. That, you know, like, like we feel like it's unjust when someone commits a crime and they don't get punished. And so we understand, hey, we've committed crimes, and the right thing, the just thing, the fair thing is for that God to punish us. And, and yet what the scriptures teach is that God went beyond justice and says, you know, that world I created to bring glory to myself, he, he does the ultimate act of bringing glory to himself by showing off his love. And he says, watch this, I am a fair God, but I'm also a loving God and a merciful God, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have my son take the form of a man He's going to lower himself and become like one of you, and I'm going to have him die on a cross. That's what that movie was all about. You know, the passion was, was Jesus suffering and dying. And what he was doing on that cross was he was, he, was, he was sufficing the justice of God. He was paying for the crimes that were committed by the world, by you and I, the crimes we know we're guilty of. He paid for them. He paid the penalty so that God could be fair. You see, if, if he just says, you know what, I'm just going to let everyone off. No one's going to pay for it. Then God would be unjust. And it wouldn't satisfy the sense of justice which he's put into us. But he, 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 what he does is he says, you know what, my son will pay for that. And so I will be just and I will be able to justify those who believe. So a penalty is paid through Jesus Christ. And when we understand that and we accept that and we decide to follow, man, we, we just go, gosh... God did that for me. The creator, who didn't even have to create me, who didn't have to create this world, he shows his love. What an amazing, loving God. We, we just worship him. And that's why we come in here and, and we say, you know what, beautiful one I adore, beautiful one I love, beautiful one my, my soul's just got to sing. I'm just bursting with how great this God is. That's what this is all about. And, and if you've never come to a point where you, you decide to accept that sacrifice and say, oh, I believe you did that for me, then basically you're on your own. 
You know, at the end, you're going to have to justify yourself and say, well, uh, you know, I don't, either you say, I don't believe I did anything worthy of, of punishment. You know, good luck with that one as he goes down your life. Seriously, you know, or, or you just say, you know what, I'll, I'll take the punishment for myself because I don't need Jesus to take it for me. Those are your choices. You know, and so for us, it's like, gosh, you know, God's paid for it all. What a, what a wonderful, loving, merciful, graceful God. And uh, we come here to worship him. And, and we pray that someday you do too. That it goes beyond curiosity and you realize, you know what? This God that everyone's in love with, I love him too. And I want to follow him. And that's what happens to Zacchaeus here. In verse 5 it says, when, G when Jesus gets to the spot where Zacchaeus was up in the tree, it says, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Okay, so, so Jesus passes by the tree. And, and this is like a, a matter of seconds. You know, he sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. How do you know his name? You know, Zacchaeus is up there going, whoa. You know, he called me out and says, you know, come down. And, uh, and he says to him, I've got to stay at your house. And, 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 and basically, Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm willing to come into your house. I want to be your guest. I want to come into your life. And so Zacchaeus, you know, hurries down the tree, you know, and says, yeah, of course. Come on in. Come on in. Come into my house. And all the people, they start going, hey, why would Jesus go with that sinner? They understood, you know, and, and yet they understood Zacchaeus' life. But what they didn't understand is those are the people Jesus always goes after. He pursues those people who recognize their own sinfulness. It's the self-righteous that he has nothing to do with. It's the people who think that they're good people that he has nothing to do with. But the people who recognize their own sinfulness, man, he, he's quick to embrace you. You know, the moment you admit, you know what, I blew my life. I totally messed it up. Gosh, you read over and over again, those are the people Jesus embraces. And that's, uh, it's the same thing here for Zacchaeus. Um, in verse 8, it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Well, you know, he makes a big deal of him being a son of Abraham and how the Son of Man came to seek and save that, that which was lost. You've got to understand, I mean, if you read the Bible as a whole, you understand God has such a special covenant relationship with the Jewish people, the people of Israel. Those were the people he chose, you know, in the Old Testament, and, uh, and he absolutely loved, and as they rebelled and rebelled and rebelled, he kept just taking them back, taking them back, pursuing them, you know, and, you know, he's, he, he led them, you know, through the desert and, and everything else, and, and he's going to use them at the, at the very end times. And, and so there's this uh, unique relationship, and it explains, you know, even the New Testament, that Jesus came to that which was his own. Um, he came to the Jewish people first, and they're, they're still a covenant relationship. There's still this uh, unique relationship, I should say, um, with the Jewish people, I, I believe. And, uh, you know, and you read in the book of Revelation how he takes people from every tribe, each of the 12 tribes, and uses them as his witnesses, even in, during the end times. And he seals them. And it's, it's a beautiful story when you read it from cover to cover. But a lot of times in the Christian church, we forget 
um, just the, the beauty of the heritage um, of the Jews. You know, I've said before, jokingly, you know, man, I, I wish I was, I was Francis Chanstein. I mean, I, I do, you know, you just go, man, to be a part of that. And, uh, and, and you know what? And, and every time, every time in this church, and it's happened many times, when a, when a person is, you know, is Jewish by nationality, realizes and embraces the Messiah of the Old Testament and realizes that that was Jesus. I mean, it's, it's just such a beautiful, wonderful thing. I, and, uh, you know, I do, I, I get all, you know, emotional over that because I, I, I think about God and how God loves that, that nation, you know. And yes, he loves us all, and, and absolutely, and his son died for all of us, but there is something beautiful about that. And, and here Jesus does make a big deal of, you've got to understand, this is Zacchaeus. You know, we should be excited, we should be fired up because, you know, he was, he's a real son of Abraham, and he's learned to embrace his Messiah, and that's why the Son, son of Man came, you know, to seek and save that which was lost. But, uh, but, but you know, let's, let's get to what Zacchaeus did. I mean, when he comes down from the tree, you know, you picture Jesus about to walk into this house, and, Jesus, you know, Zacchaeus kind of stops and says, hey, hey, Lord, because he's so fired, I can't believe Jesus is coming to my house. He just says, you know what, right now, I just want to say publicly, half of whatever I have, give it to the poor, okay? It's going to the poor. And then if there's anyone here that I ripped off, I will pay you back four times the amount, okay? Four times. Just, just tell me and you just come to me and say, hey, you know what, you, you overcharged me a grand, I'll give you four grand, you know? And, and you, you hear the story of this guy who just immediately uh, does something so radical um, and Jesus' response is, you know what, salvation's come to this house. Today, salvation has come to this house. Why did Jesus say that? Because he saw the actions of Zacchaeus. This is what we've been talking about for weeks now, that it's about him doing something. He repented. You know, uh, remember the story of the rich young ruler we studied a few weeks ago? Totally wealthy guy, right? But when it came time to give everything he had, he couldn't do it, could he? And Jesus says, oh, how hard it is for the wealthy, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And, and the disciples go, well, well, then who's going to enter? And he goes, look, look, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And here you get a picture of it. Here's a wealthy guy. At the moment he finds Jesus, suddenly his stuff doesn't matter to him anymore. He just gives it all up because he recognizes how great it is. Um, I mean, basically that's everything he has. You think if you give half to the poor, then you're saying you're going to pay back four times the amount of room when you ripped off, he's probably going to be in debt, you know, after, after this story is over. Um, but he doesn't care. You see, when we read the story, don't you read it and don't you think, that's radical. That's kind of extreme. That is extreme. That's unheard of. But the thing is, is in that day, when you read the people who follow Jesus, that was the norm. They really did give all of their possessions. They really, you know, when you read the book of Acts, that's the way the people lived. It's like, well, you know what, you're poor and I've got all this stuff. Yeah, of course I'm going to sell my stuff and give. That's just the way they thought that was the norm. See, we read a passage like this and it's, you know why it's radical to us? Because we love stuff. That's the only reason why this is radical. We're going, you're just going to give away all your stuff? No way! I'm going to give away all my stuff! Why? Because we love stuff. 
But, but Zacchaeus, you know, I mean, and we go, man, no way. Half, could I give half of everything I own right now to the poor? And, and could I pay back four times the amount? Of Why? Because we're looking at all this stuff and go, man, I, I can't let go of this. We, we love our stuff. That's the problem, you know. Where Zacchaeus is going, no way. You know, I get a relationship with God. Jesus is going to come into my life. Jesus is going to come into my house. Jesus is going to forgive me. His focus, his stuff suddenly, it doesn't even matter. His stuff doesn't matter to him. He's like Paul who says, you know, all the stuff I used to love, I counted all but dung. It's all crap now. The stuff that I used to embrace and love, he calls it that. Why? Because, because I found Jesus. It's like, you know, you, know, you read about it. It's that pearl of great price. It's that field. It's that, you know, the lost coin. It's everything. You know, it's just, man, I, I want this. And that stuff I don't care about. See, but we're in awe over the stuff going, man, he let go of his stuff. No, that's not. The, the, the point is, is that he didn't care about his stuff anymore. You see, that's, that's the fruit of salvation. When you understand what you've got now, what you have, sorry. When you understand what you have, you just realize all the other stuff, you go, I don't care. See, when you really get it, when you really get it, your stuff doesn't matter. And so sometimes we gotta just evaluate, if I love my stuff so much, then do I really get it? Do I really get the riches that I have in Jesus? You know, if all these other things matter to me so much, you should start questioning your life. If that's what you're preoccupied with and you think about, because one of the fruits of salvation is all the things you used to cherish, like that hymn says, you know, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's like suddenly all the stuff I used to love suddenly doesn't matter because of this Jesus. You see... This is the norm throughout history. When people encounter God and His grace, they do radical things. That's normal. And we've got to remember that. There was a, a gal in our church who had emailed me a couple of months ago, pretty fired up over our stance on divorce, you know, which is, that, uh, you know, which is what the Bible teaches, that divorce is wrong. You know, and the only time you can divorce is if there's been... Uh, if there's been adultery, um, or if, you're, you know, if your partner leaves you, there's nothing you can do about that, but for you to pursue a divorce, you know, the only time is for adultery. And so she was pretty angry and says, you know, you don't treat me like a real person, or this or that, you know, just the whole, whole thing. And you know, which that, that's fine, you know, and I type back and try to be gracious and say, you know what, it's not me, it's just, I gotta go with what the Bible is, the Bible teaching church and I can't compromise on anything. And we kept going back and forth. Well, all my Christian friends say it's okay. You know, people have been telling me for, you know, I've been divorced for two years. Everything's okay according to them. It's just you. It's just cornerstone every time I come to church, you know. And, oh, man, you know, I, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, but I can't tell you that it was okay for you to leave your husband. After about a month of back and forth stuff, I get an email. And she says, you know what, to be honest with you, I've never felt peace about it either. And, uh... Everyone was telling me it was okay, but then every time I come to church, I realize it wasn't. And uh, she says, I, I wrote you because I knew you would tell me what the Bible taught and not what you wanted to say and what would make me feel good. And she's saying, is the only you know, way to repent then 
to get back together with him? And I was like, well, it seems like the only thing that, that would make it right. And she says, no way, you know. Blah, 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 blah. At three o'clock today, they're getting remarried. And it's, uh, it's just the coolest thing. They're in service last night. We had them stand up, John and Della and Syverson. And, uh, and the whole congregation just prayed for them and rejoiced with them. And, you know, that's, that's their story now, you know? And we'll remember John and Delarin, no matter what they do in life now, because, you know, we could write a song about it, you know? <laughs> it's a wee little man and divorced and got remarried, you know? And it just, you know, just, it's like, wow, you know, something, something for their life to count for, you know? Something just brings glory to God. You know, we always hear about all the... The, you know, the horror stories and the nightmares, all the things God's disgusted with, and it's just, it's cool to hear about, man, the rejoicing in heaven that takes place over a union that's, that's brought back together, a vow that was broken, and then she said, you know, they recognize the wrong, and she says, you know, the thing I loved as, as they were in, in my office for counseling this week, you know, they're just smiling, they're just, you know, she just can't even believe it, they just can't believe that this is happening, they said, we just want to make sure all the glory goes to God, when you do our ceremony on Sunday, Francis, would you just make sure all the glory goes to God, because this was impossible, this shouldn't have happened, and, uh, and we just want to brag about him, and what, what he's done, and I was like, yeah, absolutely, and, and you know, and they're giddy, they're like little, you know, little college students again, you know, just, ooh, you know, just, I don't mean that belittling, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, that they're just, you know, all in love again. And, and the thing I, I said, what's, what's the greatest thing about all of this? And, and Deloran, she says to me, Francis, I can breathe again. You know, it's just right. It's right before God and it's good and, uh, you know, what a joy. But you know what, what, that's what they'll be remembered for. Something huge. You know, what, what's, what's the goal of your life? You know, what do you want to be remembered for? See, your goal needs to be more than survival. We can get into survival mode, can't we? You know, it's just like answering cell phones, you know, pages, you know, whatever. We're just, you know, we just want to get it all done. And, uh, and uh, you know, but, but that's the way we feel. It's just this busyness of, oh, let me just survive another day. And, and you guys, we, we'll fall into that mode if we don't have goals in life. And uh, the goal needs to be more than how long can I live and still look young and feel young and have financial security? And that's, that's the goal that everyone seems to fall back on. You know, usually subconsciously, but we just want to see how long we can live with financial security and health. That's your goal in life. You know, and I just want to remind you one more time, you're going to die, okay? No matter how many plastic surgeries you have and how young you look, inside your body's rotten away. It just is. You, you can't stop that. You may look good to everyone else, you know, whatever age, but you're going to die. And you know, not many people tell you that every day. And so I will. You're, you're going to die. And, and, uh, and the, the question is, is not whether or not you're going to die. You know, the question is, is whether you're going to die with regrets. And, uh, and whether or not you can come to the end and know that you consciously gave glory to God with your life. And... Um, you know, that's, that's why I make such a big deal over Nathan Barlow, Dr. Barlow, last week. And that's why, you know, even this week as I've gone to different places to speak, I, I just keep talking about him because, to me, he's the guy that did it. He pulled it off for 60 years of his life. You know, he, he, just, he just gave, 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 gave. And, 
you know, and remained obscure. No one knows about him except for, you know, now thousands of people that I tell because I go, you know what, that's the model for us. Um, you know, dying with no regrets, knowing you served, you gave your life for this thing, and now there's something to talk about in your life. You'll be remembered, and it's an awesome legacy to leave behind. You know, as, as the worship team's about to come up, this is what I want you to do. Okay, grab, your, grab a pen, and, uh, and then grab your uh, worship, uh, your bulletin. You know, on the back there, it says notes there. You know, we've been talking about Zacchaeus and his life and, you know, what he's remembered for. What I want you to do on the back of this, you know, or whatever blank paper you can, you can find, is just start writing down, if, if you were to die today, what would your eulogy sound like? Okay, as someone got up and described your life and just says, you know, this is what he or she's done. Go ahead and just start writing that. Just start writing down, what would they say about you? They're going to try to pick the good stuff, so go ahead and just write that. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, no matter, you know, I've done all sorts of funerals. They never get up until, oh, he was a jerk. You know, so, so go ahead, just write all the good stuff. You know, what, what people would remember when they, when they talk about you. I was challenged to do this when I was in high school. You know, just write down your, well, they said, you know, write your epitaph, what, what, what they want, but we don't have those anymore because you just buy the little plaques. But, uh, you know, to really think through, what do I want to be remembered for? Just keep writing, what, what, what are people going to say about you? We don't have time to spend a ton of time on this, but I really encourage you, you know, try to do this, you know, this week sometime. Just complete that. Because the thing I want you to do when you get to the end of it and you look at everything you've written down, the question I want you to ask yourself is, is that enough for me? Is that all I want to be remembered for? You know, or do I want to be like one of these people who did something radical when I encountered God and gave like crazy, served like crazy, how do I want to come before God? It's something we need to think through. Is that enough? Or do you want more? Are you praying for more? That your life will count for something? Something to be remembered? You know, if any, as we worship God, you know, if, if there's any of you that just need prayer, you know, maybe you, you are one of those curious ones and you have questions, there'll be some people up here by the prayer room to pray for you. Maybe today, you know, you, you want to get baptized. You want to start, you look at your list and you realize, you know, there's things I want to do before my life is over. You want to start pursuing those things. And you need prayer for that. Just, just come on up to the prayer room. But for the rest of us, you know, if you're hungry for more, if you're searching for more, you know, let's just, let's just worship God. Worship Him like you've never worshiped before. You know, that's what I try to do every time I sing. I don't want to just sing again. I don't want to just pray again. I want to say, I want to worship you like, like I've never worshiped before. I want to pray to you with more intensity than I've ever prayed. And so as we sing to God right now, you know, let's, 
Let's give him everything we have. That's what we were made for. Let's consciously glorify God.